Hello, and welcome back to the Real Professional Podcast, the podcast where air quotes real professionals interview non-air quotes real professionals. Uh, we're doing a little bit more of a somber introduction this time. I was, I was thinking about trying to start it off with a lighthearted joke, but uh, I didn't feel like that was uh, appropriate given the current state of the world. Anyone listening now will be aware of what's going on uh, in the United States. Uh, but if you're listening in the future days where everything is better and all the change that everyone hoped for happened, uh, then you'll probably need some context that right now we are in the midst of uh, the protests and in some cases riots that are going on in the response to uh, the killing of George Floyd. And, you know, I've, uh, I've had a number of people reach out to me personally about this. I've mentioned, um, you know, my standpoint publicly and on a number of other podcasts. Um, but uh, overall, I just wanted to say that, you know, me as, um, you know, I, I, in my personal life, I've done what I can to help out in the ways that I can. Uh, you know, I, I deliver water to protesters. Um, I march when I can, and uh, I make make sure that my sentiments are known. But uh, the number one thing that I do in my own life is to reach out to the people that are important to me and see how they're doing. Uh, the people that are you know, directly impacted by this. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things I keep hearing back from people is that they don't really, they're, they're, they're scared and they're confused and they don't really know what to do right now. And um, I just wanted to let anyone that's listening now know that it is okay to feel that way. Um, and that given the current situation, um, even if you don't know what to do and don't know what to say, it can be scary to get out there physically, personally, when you're seeing what is happening to people that decide to go out and physically participate. And it can be scary to put yourself out there when you don't know what the reaction you'll get is. Um, and I will say that this is the perfect opportunity to educate yourself and to amplify the voices of those that are affected, even if you don't want to go out yourself and say, these are my thoughts and feelings and enter into the, the, the grand melee that is the, the public discourse right now. If everyone knows someone that's affected by this and amplify those voices, the people that need to be heard. Um, and, you know, I, I don't believe that me as a, a, as, as a you know, straight white guy living in America am the one that should be directing or generating the discourse here. Um, I do what I can to help, but, I, 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 for one, think that the best use of my platform is to amplify voices uh, of those that are more affected. And if that's how you feel comfortable supporting too, that's okay. Um, so, you know, if you're on Twitter, uh, if you like watching streams, if you like listening to podcasts, uh, do what you can to reach outside of your normal comfort zone. Go to some places that make you uncomfortable and promote the voices of the people that are most heavily affected by this. And um, you know, not everyone has to uh, go out to to enact the change. They they just have to actually enact it in their daily lives, and that's an easy way that you can do it. And uh, it's a serious point, um, but that's you know I didn't feel like it would be right to start without saying something like that. So uh, we're gonna kick off with the music here and get into a more uh, fun discussion about video games and stuff here. But you know, never I, I just you know you can't be here living here right now and not feel something about it and i wanted to use whatever platform i had whatever modest way i could to try to promote that message so anyways dj go ahead and play that music 
Welcome back to the Real Professional Podcast. A really, really special lineup today. We actually got a packed house. Uh, we got, uh, well, first off, Star, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, I'm Starlight Skies. Everyone calls me Star, and it's uh, S-K-Y-E-S on Twitter if you want to know how to spell that. That's it. It's uh, and hopefully at some point uh, promoting all the cool new stuff coming up from, uh, you know, the Dread X label and the stuff that we're doing. Because, uh, you know, our new game just launched, and um, it's amazing. Uh, 90% plus positive ratings on Steam. Um, and that's not even including the ones that we bought. I mean, we bought, and we bought thousands. <laughs> so <laughs> most of our profits are going towards buying review scores, um, which is how you make it in, in AAA. So, you know, that's that's all that's all set. Uh, we also got returning is uh, David Shemansky over here. How are you doing, David? Hello. Good. And then uh, a very special guest, we have, uh, oh, and Jesse's here too. Say hi, Jesse. Hey, it's Jesse. Yeah, Jesse's here. And then uh, we also have uh, David Jaffe. How are you doing, man? Uh, I'm doing great. How are you? Well, you know, that's not true. That's bullshit. I'm not, I'm, I'm depressed as hell. Aww. I'm depressed as hell. Hell yeah, brother. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, the common fucking answer to all this shit is I'm, every time you're on a podcast or being interviewed, I'm doing great, yeah. but... I don't know anyone who is genuinely doing great right now. You know, if no, you imagine, no. this is the time of being depressed. We just all we just all know everyone else is depressed, and we just go with it. Yeah, I, like, I mean, I like the honesty. <laughs> well, like, and I think that like everyone is it's fighting these little battles in their own lives right now. I mean, and uh, I was trying to be a little bit reserved in my intro, but like, you know, I was I was really getting into it with my my fucking sister last night, who. Mm. Um, is you know kind of uh well i don't want to talk too much shit about her because she has family but i don't know it's i was like i was sending the videos of the 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 videos that we've all been seeing on twitter and she was like getting all pissed and i was like look if videos of police brutality you feel are an attack on your politics you need to fucking analyze your politics and then she didn't like that and then she left the conversation nice can't take the heat i know right um but yeah, so I, and I think that's what you're referring to, unless you are just otherwise depressed and are not. No, I mean, you, no, I'm not otherwise. I'm, I'm, I know depression from people in my life, and it's, it's a bear. But no, I've been very fortunate to have dodged that bullet. No, I'm referring. Make your pick. Would you like to talk about the coronavirus? Would you like to talk about, uh, you know, George Floyd's death? Would you like to talk about uh, the country coming apart because Donald Trump's a fucking, you know, sociopath? malignant narcissist or the actual police brutality that is looking like it's worse than anyone who isn't basically a black person ever thought. So there's a whole litany that you can choose from if you'd like to talk about why I'm depressed, but no normal depression, which ain't normal. I mean, that's, that's a bear unto itself. Fortunately, that's not what I'm dealing with. I'm just dealing with the fact that this is a, a rough time. So I'm glad to be here with you guys to talk about horror and things that are a lot more fun that we can take our minds off. Of. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> well, I do, I do want to note first and foremost that none of us, um, and I, I, I need to apologize to all of our audiences here, none of us in the present conversation have made the One Angry Gamers Traitor to America list yet. I know, what? Uh, I know, yeah. I, exactly. I, I want to DM him and be like, bro, I like. here's me at a protest, here's me giving water, uh, Like, here's me like assisting in inner cities. He'd be like, ah, oh, death to that guy. That'd be... <laughs> I, I mean, like, I, I've mentioned this before, but I was like, I was in the AmeriCorps for two years before this, uh, um, like, which I don't, like, I don't bring up to, like, virtue signal, but, like, you can't fucking be in a situation, and AmeriCorps is, like, stateside Peace Corps, so I was in the city of Phoenix doing that uh, inner city education and heat relief for the homeless, and it's like, you can't do that and not see 
like the, the the inherent equity inequities in the system like every day like the cops that sit outside of of the the homeless shelter are way different than the cops that are sitting outside of the Scottsdale nightclub to make sure that everyone gets back to their cars so they can drive home drunk safely you know it's like it's fucking ridiculous we should uh we should tell the audience who may not have heard of uh, the one angry gamer who they are, because honestly, actually, yes. it's more so t- for me because I only found out about this guy uh, yesterday and I thought he was a bit because like some of the shit I saw <laughs> right. on his list was like uh, Toontown, Traitor. The Beatles. The Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> Nintendo of America, Disney. Charles Entertainment <laughs> Cheese, Traitor to the White Race. Did you see that guy who made a video saying that uh, that they're trying to kill white people yes. and that's why he's angry? So oh, he's that was the gonna... f- oh delicious, yeah. mm-hmm. glorious. Well, I, I will tell you just briefly. I mean, I I have had a uh, relationship's not the right word. I mean, I I have discussed things with him on my stream and publicly on Twitter over the last year, and I've always been like. To his face, I've been like, dude, I can't stand you. I can't stand your politics. I think you are absolutely awful. Um, but I respect the fact, I respect, um, and I'm not talking about government, First Amendment free speech, but I, I respect the fact that in America, everyone has a right to speak their mind. And so I support as awful as what you are, and especially your comment sections are just the most anti-Semitic, racist, anti-Muslim stuff you'll ever, it's, it's, it's vulgar to the point that it makes your stomach turn. Um, I respect the fact that that you deserve a platform in America as long as you don't hurt anybody or break the law. And so I've always had this kind of weird thing with him where I've been like, you know what, dude, you're awful, but I support your right to be awful as long as you don't break the law, because that's what makes America great. Who am I to tell you your ideas are awful, even though they are? Um, But then he went off this week on just a traitor list and saying Black Lives Matter is horseshit and basically kind of stepping over the line and it's like, okay, this is beyond just extreme free speech. You are an absolute fucking nightmare. So if you're, if you're saying educate your, your listeners on one angry gamer, that's who this guy is. It's basically a website that is the most extreme right wing, almost pro Nazi crap I've ever seen in my life. And, and I, I, it's so funny because I, I definitely believe his claim that he is angry. That That is certainly <laughs> not disputable. Truth in advertising. You <laughs> have advertising. There's only one of him. Yeah, I mean, that might, might also be true. But I, I, I now have to dispute his self-identification as a gamer because by his list of companies he can no longer participate with or, or uh, buy the games of, how is he going to be a gamer if he can play no games? <laughs> he has blacklisted both Marvel and DC. And I mean, like, you know, Wildstorm is far more liberal than either of those were. So it's, and I don't even think Wildstorm's a thing anymore, but like, oh man, I guess he can't read comics anymore either. Like, what's he going to do? So I'm friend, like I, since I'm a manager, like community person, like I'm friends with a lot of other marketing PR people and all of them have blacklisted him. So he doesn't really get, he doesn't communicate with any companies anyways, because they're already been blacklisting him for years. Um, and I just want to say really quick that like, he's the kind of person that likes to shit on like Twitch thoughts and like the e-girls and stuff like that because they make money. And I, I truly believe that maybe this guy believes in what he says, but he knows he can take advantage of emotions from other people and take their money. So I just find it extremely hypocritical on top of everything else. I'd be 
to bet he does believe the things he says. I don't think that people tend to, uh, like, people usually get further into their niches with economic incentive, but usually don't start down that rabbit hole unless there's, like, something that, like, resonates with you. I totally agree, but he's taken it to such a point where I'm just like, oh, man, he must be getting, you know, money from, you know, these people to, to to make this many enemies. There must be something worth it for him. Does he have a Patreon? I think it's advertised. I think he's he's got ads on his site. Oh, okay. Huh. I want to see what his ads are. Is it all, like all deer repellent or like hunting deer? <laughs> it's not. Yeah, it, it's not like you know um, the new Universal Studios movie. It's nothing like that. I mean, it's stuff from like it's kind of like weird uh, hentai anime scrolls for your wall, if I remember correctly, and things like that. <laughs> That's very hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> That's oddly specific. How do you know that, Jeff? <laughs> well, um, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, you know, Jaffe, that those are you know Google programmatic ads, right? Like those are just based on your own. <laughs> those are based on your search uh, listen, history. L- listen, I, the, the the truth is, I am Lady G. So you know, that's the. Uh, oh. I, yeah, I, I'll tell you why. That's I mean, there's the news. The hits just keep on coming. I tell you why. I don't know if you're following that. What's going on? This is not what this. Somebody listening to this podcast is you, motherfucker, Jaffe. I want to talk games. I want to talk horror. Go talk. You know. So I'm, I'll I'm, I'll shut up. But it's it's a crazy news day. Let's just put it that way. However, I will say I would have zero shame. The, my biggest shame would not be looking at hentai. It would be being a 49 year old man buying scrolls for my wall. Um, whatever would be on them. That would be my shame. Yeah. Like, I, I'm, I'm actually agreeing with you on this. Like, I, I've never thought it was weird if someone, like, decides that, like, they have this particular fetish. I'm not sex negative. But when you're buying, like, a $300 figurine at your, in your, like, 30s to go into your weird glass jerk-off palace, you know, like, those those anime dolls, like, that is where I'm like, that's 300 bucks, bro. And, like, the internet's right there. Well, there's just a point where you, you know, it's like I, I'll go to Comic-Con whenever they have it and it's like, hey, you know, you walk by a booth or, you you know, you brunch by a booth these days and it's like, hey, you want a poster? I'm like, do I look like a man who's going to fucking go home and hang up a fucking poster on my wall? I'm not 12, motherfucker. But uh, yeah, it's it's more that for me. But still, I, yeah, I, I don't know how he makes his living. Um, I will just tell you guys just briefly, just, and I'll get off it. I apologize. It's just, it's on my mind, you know, and, and I think anybody you know, who does creative work, which it sounds, I mean, obviously we all do. You're sensitive. You have to be, you have to be a sensitive individual. And I have just been so underneath all the anger and frustration and, and, and just, it's just sadness about how angry and mean and cruel, you know, the cops can be no shit. Jaffe says the entire black American group, but I'm like, I knew it, but I didn't know it, you know, until I'm starting to see it and, and how racist these people are, not just the cops, but their fans. And the fact that we've got a president that's, that's, you know, gassing his own people for a photo op. When you just allow that, when you take that in, it really makes you fucking sad, man. I mean, it's, it's sad that we're dealing with that level of anger in this country and vitriol. Honestly, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, like, as somebody who has dealt with communities, like, and especially in the gaming world, there's a lot of not-so-good communities in our industry. Um, I've noticed that the only way to get rid of kind of this toxic mentality is just to give them no oxygen. You cannot give them space. And that's because if you give them just a little bit, they this is exactly what happens. And then, of course, 
like the president, like you mentioned, kind of like, like validates that. Do you not think that are savable? I mean, is it just ignorant and naive of me to want to go? They're absolutely savable. Like, absolutely they are. Um, And that's what happens when they have no oxygen. They have no one else. Everyone they know believes in Black Lives Matter. They have nowhere to run. But then they have to be forced to recognize that there is a problem here. But if if they have even one friend that agrees with them, that, you know, you know. Right. Then they will just depend on that one friend and just, you know, so you just can't give them a room like that. That like that's my experience with toxic online communities. Well, like, and I, think, I, I think that that is one of the negative sides of uh, the Internet. The free marketplace of ideas is that for those that wish to educate themselves, it is like infinitely useful. But those seeking a ever dwindling community of likewise reprehensible individuals to validate their shitty opinions. It is like an infinite trough of that. Like, so like I, 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 I'm, I'm 30. I think that I'm probably the, I'm not the oldest one in this group. No, um, not, I mean, that yeah, would no. probably be David Chaffee or, uh, I probably, I might be the youngest one in this group. No, wait, that's you right. Jesse, younger. Jesse's 16. I forgot. Yeah. Um, uh, what? No, what? He's, he's, like, he's like 24. He's just fucking with it. Oh, uh, oh, good Lord. You are, you're a <laughs> tiny person. Yeah. <laughs> I am um, also 30. So. But like, you know, I, I, when I was growing up, I had some like shitty opinions that like, and shitty like behaviors, like we all do when we're young. And then like, I got my ass kicked, like both like emotionally and like literally a couple times. I was like, maybe I shouldn't be a piece of shit anymore. Right. Like, and that's how we all kind of learned how to like be better human beings. But like when you're on, when, when, when your only emotional outlet and output is not like person to person interaction in the world, but like online interactions, there's an ever uh, present like um, there's an ever more people to like bounce your like shitty opinions off of. And if like 99.9% of people hate your opinions and think you're a piece of shit and say that to you, but there's that 0.1% that is like, hell yeah, brother. Like you're going to find an ever increasing amount of people that are going to be able to back you in your bullshit. Unfortunately, the opposite is also true of that, where if you're in a small town and everybody believes the same thing, after a while, you're just like, I'm too exhausted to fight this fight. You know, I'm just going to join the herd. Right. They're like, maybe they have a point here, you know, because they're just they have a very tiny world and they don't really have an outlet to to think differently. And so and then they just get used to that. I mean, so. this is why we, we really missed the lesson of Judge Dredd, which is that everything's better <laughs> when you live in one big megacity and the rest of the world. Oh. Is <laughs> And you uh, let the co- and you let the cops do whatever the fuck they want. Oh shit, we're there. Oh, oh no. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, I just uh, want to say, for the record, I totally have posters in my office. Well, <laughs> yeah, but you're, you're sixteen, I thought. Or who's that talking? No, no, no. I'm thirty. I, oh. I have a wife and two children. <laughs> that, that'd yeah, be but me. You also made you made you you made one of the best shooters of the last ten years. So well, you, thank you. You're very welcome. I'm gonna fanboy and i don't fanboy much i know pretty much everybody in the industry across the board and up and down there's there's nobody i haven't met and talked to and in a lot of cases worked with and i will tell you uh dusk is the shit sir i hope i hope it's treated you and your family well because that is yes, it has good it's been incredible good it's still insane to hear that from people like you like i'm like really is it good it's this well, i mean you know it's all it all it, re- it really should be taught to people and it's just like look man gameplay and game design 
I mean, you know, you got to execute well and you got to run at a good frame rate and, you know, executions, everything and all that. But mm-hmm. end of the day, man, I mean, you know, it's, it's funny. Somebody put a gif of the first God of War, the one I directed up with Kratos and they put Donald Trump's face into it, blah, blah, blah. It was, it was from an in cut scene of that movie. Uh, of that game, and back when we made that game, that cutscene was kind of state of the art, top of the line, and now it looks like previs, uh, or it look, or it looks like um, the season finale of Blacklist, you know, where they had the, uh, the 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 kind of terrible animation. And and so my point being is that it's like the great production value that everybody oozes and ahs over and loses their shit over. That stuff fades so quick, but the great gameplay travels and sustains and it's it's i hate how that doesn't get recognized and by journalists by people who write about video games um and all you have to do is play dusk and it's like holy cow within five minutes you're not aware that this game looks like a 90s game you are lost in this amazing world so if i wore a hat i'd be tipping it to you sir thank you it is definitely really interesting how the the focus on um yeah, production value, but but various fidelity in various aspects, like you know, um, the scope of the game, the visual fidelity, all of that has remained um, has remained really the big focus of selling uh, of like selling and um, talking about games for games years, for like games decades. Are really, games are hard to talk about. I mean, they're really you know. You... Yeah, that's true. Maybe that's why. Because it's like it's hard. It's hard to talk about how something plays. It's easy to be like, look at the screenshot, and here's here's how many miles the you know square miles the world is, or whatever. It's, it, yeah, exactly. It's like I can sit down. And someone's like, hey, you want to watch? Um, uh, uh, what's the Natalie Portman movie where she goes into the shimmer? I watched that too. Oh, hey, Annihilation. Well, I can say so it's like, oh, you want to watch Annihilation? What's it about? Oh, well, it's about this shimmer that appears. Blah 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 blah. But I, I've been trying to sit down with my kids for two weeks and play Takenoko, the board game, and they're like, "Well, what's it about?" And I'm like, "Well, it's it's you know, it's hard to explain game mechanics. It's like you just have to play it, and that's yeah. probably the same thing with from my video games for a lot of people. It's easier to talk about the visuals." Yeah, I'll bet you're right. It's I, it's a much easier like metric to pass around too. Be like, "Oh, look at how awesome this is going to be. Look at you know, look at these again. Look at these screenshots and stuff." Right. And as a designer, you're probably thinking what I'm thinking, which is you're doing the exact same shit that you've been doing for 15 years in that game. That Unreal 5 demo was beautiful, but all the character yeah. was doing was walking around a tomb, lighting torches and gliding. Right. When that's in Soul Reaver. Yeah. Yeah, basically. I'm just sorry. like, oh, this I'm is really Jaffe. Uh, uh, most of our audience isn't going to understand the reference of Soul Reaver. <laughs> Soul Reaver oh, is uh, a horror game about a vampire. But it's kind of a Zelda meets. When you say it's like a Zelda meets, or in it a vampire? In it, well, yeah. Be... I mean, are we talking about yeah. like the legacy of Cain? Because Soul Reaver, I think, is specifically the spinoff with uh, Azrael, whereas or that's Raziel. the one. That's yeah. the one. I'm, I'm yeah. the one I'm talking about. Yeah, and it's made by the people who made Tomb Raider. The original. Yeah, Amy Hennig was the director of that before she went over to Naughty Dog and did the Uncharted games. Yep. By the way, um, I, I totally just realized I forgot to introduce uh, who uh, David Jaffe is here. He is the uh, mind behind series like uh, Twisted Metal and uh, God of War. I think it's probably what you're best known for, although I think you also yeah. worked at Mickey's Manic Mansion or something. Yeah, I've made a bunch of games, but those the, the, so far those are the two most successful. Underline so far. I'm just getting started, motherfucker. Feel that. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, but a lot of people and and by God of War, we're talking about like the PS2 God of War. Yeah, like the, the original. original. Yeah, that's right. So I'm just real quick, um, just for uh, uh, you know, an inner uh, being a, a real journalist here for a second. Um, it, you're listed as the uh, the director of God of War, but the creative director of God of War Two. What exactly does that mean? Well, it, you know, just like it's hard to talk about games, it's hard to talk about roles because every studio uh, is kind of set up differently. There's no, thankfully, a different conversation, but thankfully there's no unions. So it's not like movies where you know what the best boy does. The best boy on Star Wars does the same job that the best boy did on uh, Terms of Endearment or whatever. But uh, in our case with Sony Santa Monica, um, in relation to God of War II, Corey Barlog was the director, uh, which meant he was doing the day-to-day, moment-to-moment working with the team, and I was overseeing the overall property of God of War to make sure that what that team was doing fit within the overall vision for the franchise within Sony Santa Monica. So uh, it would kind of be like, you know, George Lucas directing Star Wars and then he steps off and he's executive producing, but Irving Kirshner is directing Empire Strikes Back and Larry Kasdan's writing Empire Strikes Back. So it's, 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 it would, it was kind of like that. And then ultimately though, because Corey is amazing and he's the guy who also directed the new God of War um, within probably 10 months uh, of a two and a half, three year production, I was just checking in once or twice a week because Corey fucking had it down. But it was really about it was the first game he had directed and kind of making sure that it was fitting within the franchise and that he was kind of getting off to a great start, which he kicked massive ass. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, uh, I, I just find that like, so it's it's interesting because I, I first met you a few years ago when you were doing Drawn to Death for the. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I asked a, a couple questions about God of War back then, but it's like, the interesting thing is, is not that I like have forgotten those, but like my perspective has shifted now that I've like worked on the other side of like trying to make a game. Cause like when you're not making games, you think that people have like jobs and they do just that job and then they go home and it's like, but like, no, like everyone that works in games does a zillion different things. Um, I mean, well, it depends when, when you guys made dread, uh, X, obviously, I imagine you wore a lot more hats because you had a lot less resources. So, I mean, for, for us, I mean, when you're the lead effects artist on God of War, even on PS2, that is pretty much all you do. Um, It's different. I think when you're talking about a real small indie studio, everybody's doing just, you know, pick up a bucket and help put out the fire. Indie is is very different. (laughs) Like even, even still with new blood, it's like, Yep. We all have, quote, roles, but basically it's just everyone running around with their hair on fire trying to do what we can to make the game good. For middle-tier companies, uh, middle-tier companies, sorry, that's a shitty yeah. way to say that, but middle-budget companies are starting to adopt that more fluid role style. I know that the people that make uh, GTFO, which is a really cool new shooter, they're all, uh, they they don't have any, like, official roles in their company. They're all known as the Grand Poobah or whatever. Um <laughs> And I, I think that, that that's a that's that is I don't know I, I think that oh god I probably need to develop better opinions but now that I'm just on the on the indie side of things and seeing how things are done there that I think that there's there's certain ways that the the, the mass market production of the big AAA titles is uh, likely inefficient because of that. Well, like. When I describe the difference between indie and AAA to people, um, at, you know, there were like a more mid-tier companies, but then uh, 2008 recession happened, and that kind of like kind of divided this gap. Um, 
Mm-hmm. I would say it's about infrastructure and leads and like how, like, because there's like some indie companies that look like they're AAA and there's some, and then vice versa too. Because like even Ubisoft has made like games that look indie and feel indie. Right. They're not really, yeah. So it's about like, it's not just the budget, it's the infrastructure and who, how they can, like, and like Gaffy said, like every studio is very different. Like when you ask me like what titles are, titles are pretty much bullshit in the industry because like I've seen people, like I'll see the same job listing for several different titles, but it'll be the exact same job. Hmm. Just focused on different things. So if it's like, for example, I, I do like influencer relations, I do community, I do marketing, social media, like, and there's all in AAA, there's all broken down into different sections of this customer service, that sort of thing, but depending on the company. Uh, so it's more like an umbrella term to kind of fill in the gaps. And so it's like, depending on like, who is good at what, and like, I'd say new blood, you guys, for some reason are just fantastic at social media. <laughs> like, Dave. how you are. It's, it's Dave. He didn't like tutor you though. He was like, "Okay, boys, this is how you do Twitter." Like, he doesn't do that though. Like, no, not not really. I think it's just well, like for me, I um, obs- I try to observe like what does he do that works, and that well, also it helps that we're both kind of on the same page with regards to like the sense of humor and like what we think is you know gonna gonna work as far as dumb memes and stuff go, mm-hmm. but like. I have I you know try to make a point of like looking at what he does and seeing what works and then trying to emulate that to whatever lesser degree I can. It hel- it helps that your attitudes though rightly so and it makes sense match the products. I think if you guys were making yeah. Animal Crossing, you guys would be running out of town on a rail. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't work out so well. Yeah, where's um, the Animal Crossing save data stored in the balls? <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say, yeah, that, like, your genres and niches are very important, and that's why, like, a big reason why I chose to work at, with uh, you guys at Dread, was because you are focused on a niche, and if you're, like, some publishers I talk to, they're like, oh, we're doing all these sorts of games, and I'm just like, you're just, you can do this, like, I even talked to Double Fine about this, you can definitely do this, but you're gonna have to take extra special attention and time away from one audience to talk to another, because that's just how the internet is, not everyone's gonna like every single game. Right. The people that are giving uh, the Dreadx collection a bad review because they didn't like one of the ten games. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like this one oh. game, so the whole product's a wash. Oh, Honestly, dope. what'd you think of the other nine? Oh, they were great. <laughs> Fuck yeah, bro. It's fine though because they know, like, people know that we're not buying reviews, like you said earlier. Well, yeah, no, that's the thing. Is like, <clears throat> and here's okay. I don't know if anyone else has experienced this, but like, I thought it would be easy to go to my friends and be like, hey. Friends that I've known for a long time buy my game and write a review. Not one of them has fucking done it. Like actually, yeah, all yeah, through. it's kind of incredible how that works. Like I, I, my my best fucking friend in the world. I was there when his kid was born. Like, and I was like, "Hey, <laughs> could you buy my game and leave a review?" He's like, "I'll get to it." I'm like, "Bro, it takes you like just just buy it." He's like, "Oh, I don't know if I have time to play it. I got this kid." I was like, "Leave it on in the background. I don't care if you actually like just." <laughs> Be nice to me, Jesus. And no, so anyone that's like, there was one person on to bad reviews, like, every review on this thing is someone that is must be friends with the developers. I was like, I fucking wish my friends would <laughs> review my goddamn game. Yeah, sorry oh, about yeah, that, by the way. It's on, it's on my list. It's on, it's on my to-do list. <laughs> <laughs> that's just, that is how it goes. I'll, like, I'll, I'll review it when I get through, <laughs> what's it called, Rock Gut. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Oh, we shouldn't groan, because I, I think that Will I'm, is... Uh, hey, and I like that game a lot. I'm just still trying to figure out how to fucking finish it. 
No, I wasn't groaning. I was just like, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. I haven't one... played it yet, but I the the tiny like twenty seconds that I played of it, I was like, this is this is gonna be a this is gonna be a thing. Well, this we, is not gonna be like. <laughs> I will say, I mean, I'm really not taking the piss. There's something about it that I really think is 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 very creepy and disturbing, and in a lot of ways even that the other games don't have, it's almost like a snuff film version of a video game because it looks so, it, it's so much less polished than all the other ones. So it, it has this almost kind of like, why is this on there? But it's so interesting and weird. And like, you're just waiting for this awful thing at the end of this tunnel and it, you're walking really slow and you're like, fuck it. I'm for the long haul. I want to see what's at the end of this tunnel. And then it starts flashing these pictures, these ladies up. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening in this game? And it just feels like something you're not really supposed to be seeing, which I really like. And I don't know if that's intentional or the developers just out of their fucking, I don't know who the developer was, but it, it, in a lot of ways, that's the most, even though I liked all the games on, you know, some more than others, but that's the most disturbing to me of those games, but you know, yeah, uh, Rock was developed by Will Brierley, who also made a game called Soda Drinker Pro. And he, he is, um, I would define what he creates as outsider art. Like, he, he's, not, he's not making a game with the intention of having, he doesn't use, like, game theory when designing a game. You know, like, okay, we need to have objectives and to lead the player. He just, like, kind of makes a thing because he wanted to... Like when when I asked him about making Rotka, and you can hear this in the podcast episode, he was like, "I had some bad stuff in my head. I wanted to work out, and this is how I did that." And, and I, like, I loved that. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, I would describe what he does as bath salts for your computer screen. <laughs> <laughs> I think some people are game devs that know how to do art. He's like an artist first that knows how to do some game dev. That's how I describe it. Got it. Got it. Jesse got our Mortal Kombat Aftermath review code just a little bit late, so uh, I'll send that to you so you can do it. Jesse? Sorry, I got distracted. I'm, uh... uh... It's it's okay, buddy. You're all good. Sorry, were we boring you? Uh, no, there is a, um... I don't don't uh, care. I'm just teasing. Fuck, I'm trying to think of a joke. There was a, uh, Roadrunner and a wolf, and I got distracted. I don't know what I'm fucking saying. I'm gonna cut this this part. First off, Uh, Jesse, come on. I was getting a, I was getting a soda. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I was saying I got I got our uh, Mortal Kombat aftermath review code, so I can send that to you. Oh, dope. Um, yeah, yeah so the, the wonderful life of trying to be a journalist and a game creator is that I don't get to sleep, but I do get a lot of cool games. Um, that's like why I got into video game journalism was for free shit. And if anyone <laughs> tells you that they got into video game journalism because of like a genuine passion for like writing articles, they're lying. It's for the free shit and the access. <laughs> Um, and look out, it worked out well for me. I mean, I made a video game. Um, I I would say that the hardest, so I, I'm, I'm genuinely trying to be like, uh, 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 a a nice sober man about all this like process. And like, you know, every time there's a negative review being like, Oh, let me give me your feedback. We'd like to improve in the future. But for like a split second, every time, like, I'm I'm like, how do I find where this person lives? Like every time. (laughs) Yeah, that impulse doesn't go away no matter how many games you've released. Was Negative it, uh, reviews are always just like, I will fight you! <laughs> was it Phil Fish who uh, who would do that? Like, somebody would be like, hey, your game's kind of weird, and he'd be like, fuck you, I'm gonna... Uh, That's, that sounds like something he would do. It, yeah. Or at least that, that past Phil Fish would do. I think he's... Yeah, he's not like I, that anymore. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know, I like... 
he's completely out of the limelight, so yeah, which is probably good. You know what developer? Sorry, Star, keep going. I was gonna say I've met him a few times in person, and uh, he makes fun of indie game the movie, uh, and he is like that industry doesn't exist anymore, and that's not. No, how it super it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. See, like, here's the thing, Ted. Like, what I'd like to do is actually talk about like what game development is and what the industry actually is, because what drives me crazy is the misconceptions, and I think that now your eyes are opening up to these misconceptions, and it's I kind of want to hear like your thoughts on it and like how your mind something. Me? Yeah, that you thought were like this. And you thought okay. you Okay, let me... Put it again. <laughs> you went to E3, you were a journalist, but it's not until you actually, like, ship something on Steam that, you know, you realize some truths that you realize, oh, so this is why developers act a certain way, you know? Um, okay, so... Uh, and, and then, uh, 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 Jaffe, if, if my hot takes on what it's like to make a video game are shockingly boring to you, I apologize, because I am. this isn't all new to me and still exciting. It's, all, it's always... It's every every experience I've ever had is different, so I'm curious how yeah. yours turned out. It's, okay, so my, my experience was, first off, I was shocked that in order to put, get my game on Steam, there's just a moment where they're like, okay, go push the button, and then your game's on Steam. I was like, you're giving me that power? I'm just some guy. Like, I'm just, I'm just a guy in my living room, and it's, like, all of a sudden, like, I can just put my game out there, and then there's a game, and it's in the world, and it has, like, people's names on it. Um, uh, and that was, that was weird. That's, like, that feeling of, like, it, it didn't actually sink into me that the game was out until, like, three days later. Like, I clicked the button, and I knew it was out, and I was promoting it and stuff. But, like, it wasn't until I was, like, really, like, sitting down for dinner and talking. I was like, oh, shit, my game is, like, out. Like, people can find it. And, like, I started seeing people, like, random people just on the internet playing it. Like, every time I go into Twitch now, um, I thought it was going to just be the streamers that we had reached out to. Like, hey, here's a code. Just learn about our game. Then I started seeing people that, like, no one had reached out to. And then I saw, like, bigger people that no one had reached out to. I was like, oh, people are playing this thing. That's cool. Um... So that is an emotional experience was really strange because I don't think that I was like, uh, it doesn't like it, the, 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 like there's no one, there's no like, the, other than that Steam having the requirements of like, you have to have these images of these sizes and then the game has to like launch, um, which is like basically their only requirement. Oh, and then if it's porn, you have to click the porn button. Um, yeah. Other than that, like I, there's no real like, no one's like, you did a good game, here you go. Now you can put it out there. It's just like all of a sudden, like it's up to you to put it out there. And it's like that was that was weird to not have um a boss telling me, okay, this is good to go and making that call. Like I was ultimately the one that had to like push that button. And that was that was weird. Um it was great. It was a great experience. Um also, like I gathered the team for doing this first one and this one by just like emailing people or calling them or DMing them. Like, I didn't know anyone on the production, like, personally, before I started it. I had never met, uh, you know, David Shemansky over here before this. And, like, literally, the way I got Airdorf is that I invited him on a podcast, and he, like, offhandedly said, like, I'd like to make, like, a version of PT someday, like, of my game. And I was like, oh, I'll get the money for it. He was like, okay, cool. And then I just, like, <laughs> did. And he was like, oh, I guess I'm doing this thing now. And, like, I don't know, it's, it's weird how, like, it just, like, it kind of comes together and you just, like, indie devs are not unapproachable. They're not outside of your realm of yep. being able to just, like, go up and talk to them. And even, There's like, the bigger blue. one. Hmm? I was like, okay, so earlier today, I was, like, smiling so big when, uh, there, you know, you're talking about Dusk and, like, how great it was. And 
Um, here's the thing that I've learned about the industry, and I've seen, you know, you've been part of other industries, and it's just game devs are more humble, I believe, than other industries. Like, we actually help each other out, and we're willing to do that, and I've never seen anyone else be so welcoming than other game devs to each other, and that's why, even though um, there's a lot of heartache that we haven't talked about yet, you know, there is some huge yeah. negatives to being a game <laughs> dev uh, that, like, make you go crazy, um, but because people think it's so easy and that, you know, we're just lazy developers. Why don't we just like do this? But it's actually incredibly difficult craft. But we still keep with it, one, because we love our craft and two, because other developers are usually not all the time are wonderful, like and they're great and yeah. uh, we support each other. Yeah, it was. It, I, yeah, I, I think that it, seeing all these every single person that comes into the discord to, to start working on this has said the same thing, which is, wow, I feel like I'm among like such talented people. I feel like the little guy here. And like everyone has said that while coming in, no matter yeah. how big that they are. And um, I mean, with this next one that we have coming up, which I can't make any official statements on yet, but we have some like pretty big names in this next one. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. And um, I was like, Oh, that, Oh, 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 okay. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I've kind of hinted at this before, but, you know, everyone should know we are working on doing another one. That's not like really a secret at this point. Um, we're just still trying to, you know, get this. Uh, but, you know, we have a really cool spread on this next one. And um, they're all super friendly and accepting. And yeah, I mean, that that's been a really interesting experience. And I will say that um, going from saying things and having opinions on things to doing the things is a, a fundamental shift in my perspective and it has been more difficult to go back and write reviews now that i've done mm -hmm. the thing um because it's like the way that i would connect with my writing audience before was as an outsider looking in critically but now as someone who's like actually put his thing out there and seeing how it's all made and stuff like i always knew how it was made but no matter how much you know how something is made it is fundamentally different to actually then do it yes and it, it changes mm -hmm. you Ted, yes, you, uh... this is why I cringe at every single YouTuber that writes a quote-unquote review about a game that doesn't know anything about how games are actually made. It's really frustrating to watch. Ted, you've finally become, you've gone from the air quotes real professional, now you're the non-air quotes real professional. <laughs> still an air quotes real professional. <laughs> our, our, our product is super, you know, ran, uh, it's, it's held together with the, the shiniest of twine. Um, <laughs> if, if I could just you know, follow up on that. Um, I, mean, I, I, I think for me personally, it's important not to lose sight for me, not to lose sight of the fact that like my, my issue is never when an actual player or fan doesn't like something. I don't think it's their job to know how the sausage is made. And I would prefer they not um, in a lot of ways because that's not their job. Their job is to be entertained and we either succeed or we fail. And I've had some games that have succeeded massively and I've had some huge failures and the failures hurt and the hits feel great, but that's not really their problem. Their problem is just right. to get your money's worth. I, it's the journalist I have a problem with. It's, it's the I, reviewers that are snarky and clickbaity and basically aren't really like, – I know you were kind of joking. It's like you only got into it for access, but the quality of entertainment journalists and video games, not all of them by any means, but a very large number of them, as a developer, I take a great – many issues with because um their shit can be cruel and mean-spirited and snarky simply for quote entertaining their audience and find that exactly that, that pisses me off but the exactly. fans whatever the fuck they want they paid 
if, if we didn't entertain them, hopefully they'll give us a shot to do it next time. Oh, yeah. I'm not talking about fans. I'm talking about literally people. It doesn't matter if it's Reddit. It doesn't matter if it's journalists on a website. It doesn't matter if it's a YouTuber. There's people that genuinely like a game and a genre and they love it. And then there's people that want views and they want clicks and they, they have a Patreon and they sell merch. And they know that negativity sells more. And so, and they'll say things like, and they'll spread misconceptions of game developers. This is 2020 and you're going to release a game in a few years. Like, why don't you know if it's going to be an epic game store? Like I had people accuse the company I was working for of lying because we won't tell them if it's going to be an epic game store or not. And like, we're saying like, we really don't know, like that's three years down the line when this game's going to get released. We don't know if it's going to be an epic game store. And they're like, you liars, you know? And they got that from a YouTuber. Like, and they say things like, developers are trying to scam publishers by giving like a fake build and the, the you know, the end game and same thing with E3, like the E3 demo trailers don't look like the finished game. So developers are trying to trick us. And we all know about optimization and how games change over when you like m- make a tiny demo versus a full game, how different that is. Yeah. Right. Although I, I do love those E3 trailers. They're so pretty. <laughs> and, and like, that's the thing though. I don't go to E3 expecting to see like, the new trailer to be like, oh, that's exactly what the game is going to look like. I'm just like, yay, the pretty shiny lights. I love sitting in that auditorium during the Sony presentation where, like, the lights dim and then, like, the music rises. I'm like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> but I, I hearing on the negativity of a lot of the, the, the YouTubers and journalists and stuff, it's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's incredibly unhealthy. I have tried my best to get away from it the older I get. I'm such a creature of the internet that it's hard for me. And it's probably not healthy for me, but th- there's such real um, that it's really just, uh, it-, it ain't healthy, man. It just ain't. Yeah. Well, and I'm just saying that, like, if they just knew a little bit of how games are made, just a little, they don't need to know. Like, oh, you're they right. Don't like, care. The whole... you, oh, come on. You think. Yeah, you yeah, think, they do. You, yeah, you, I think. You think they're, you think in, in, in their heart of hearts, they're good people. And it's just like, oh, I wasn't informed it was hard. I think your first no, assumption no. was correct, which it was negative no, themselves. They they do, but I feel like the world is changing right now, and I feel like there's it, it goes in trends, right? Sometimes being a negative person is trendy, and then their audience get tires of it, or their audience grows up. And then there's times where somebody who's more positive and is educational, like like ugh, I, you know, like game theory has said some things that has made developers kind of upset, but at the same time, it showcases that people are interested and learning about things. People want to learn about music theory. People want to learn about movie theater. Why would they want to learn about games? But not like necessarily the ins and outs of coding and game engines. They don't care about that. They don't care about how multiplayer is like really tricky and networking. They don't care about that. But uh, I mean, plenty of like game design channels have gotten a lot of traction over the past year outside of extra credits. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not disagreeing that there aren't fans out there that want that, that want that content. I'm saying, Mm -hmm. I thought you were talking about, the YouTuber with the Patreon that sells merch that basically makes their oh, bones no. by, by being negative. I don't think that yeah. negative person is going to suddenly go, oh shit, I didn't realize oh, it was so yeah. hard to make the game. Yeah, so, but here's the thing, is like their audience gets tired of that, you know? Like yeah. after a while, they're like, I'm kind of sick of this guy always like saying the same thing over and over again. What else does he have? And he doesn't have anything else because he's built his audience on this. And once he tries to do something new, they're like, oh, boo, like we didn't come here for this. Right. So... Uh, yeah, yeah I've, you're... <laughs> I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen with my kids because it's not like there's a new crop of twelve-year-olds to fill in because they because <laughs> they get too old. So twelve-year-olds, you know, we're we're down with an eighteen, nineteen-year-old person, and now that eighteen, nineteen-year-old's twenty-six, and the twelve-year-olds, who's this fucking old dude? Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I, I've said this before, but you know, you look at the statistics of some of these older uh, internet celebrities, someone like Angry Joe, and mm-hmm. Angry Joe has, you know, I think it's like three million YouTube subscribers, which is nothing to scoff at. But like, Angry Joe has had that fan base for like, like the la- that exact fan base for a long time, and it's actually like if you look at his videos, he's not getting those three million subscriber clicks anymore you know like these are people that usually click subscribe on youtube and then they just don't unsubscribe because a lot of a lot of people don't unsubscribe on youtube channels um and i i've always i've never wanted to be um that kind of journalist that's just like okay let's let's just go and rant and rave and and talk about the, the downfall of the industry all the time and be overtly negative because i mean like who who who, other than the people our age, knows who the angry video game nerd is? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good point. <laughs> uh, and it's just, yeah. Um, the only one I'll still really watch is uh, Yahtzee, uh, who I, I can't say in front of my girlfriend because she worked on Blair Witch and he gave that as the w- worst game of 2019. Oh, and she oh was, no. Yeah, I was with her in Krakow when... Um, he like the video came out and she was like very upset. So we, we bought an extra large pizza. It was very, uh, <laughs> I will say this too. Like, I mean, you and I've talked about this a few times and I've talked with like a lot of other, I talk with people like companies that work with influencers and this is what they say. Like there's a big difference between what that person says. Uh, sometimes they're playing a character. Like they don't actually mean what they say. Sometimes they're just joking around and they're friends with developers. And they actually do know a bit about the industry and stuff like that, but they're fans their fans don't know that they're just playing a character. Their fans don't know that they're just doing a joke, right? right. So, or like the, uh, they don't know that a video could be uh, like outdated and that things could have changed. So like basically the fans can make things a lot worse. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Like, so like, for example, they could watch it. I like the Blair Witch game personally, but somebody who had never played it, but watched that video will be like, oh, okay. Like now that he's told me that now I'm not going to buy it. You know? Yeah, it's weird. It's weird for me to sit in like the the discords of other horror uh, sites, which I think there's some other great horror sites out there. But it's uh, weird to sit in their discord and people like argue about which games are better or worse. I mean, uh, uh, the, the, the debate is fine, but to be like, well, this reviewer said it's bad, so it must be. And it's like, well, have you played the game? They're like, no, I don't need to. So, okay, well, that's a, that's always a little bit weird to me. And and I will say though, as the guy on the other side of the trench of the the the, the developer versus journalist war. Um, I've always I've always tried to at, in my professional life uh, to uh, always try to view to first off treat the games that I'm reviewing fairly, and if I'm going to be critical of something, like give reasons why I didn't like it and the things that I thought like like so okay right now I'm reviewing a game uh, called uh, Someday You'll Return. It's a horror game. Oh yeah, I've been hearing about that. Right, made by uh, three brothers from the Czech Republic. Uh, they've made it over a very long period of time, and it's an insanely impressive visually game, and there's a lot of great thematic elements. Uh, the game is like 17 hours long and has like a, a, an herbalism system, a crafting system, uh, also uh, like uh, a note, like it, it just keeps every level, it feels like it's introducing a new crafting mechanic that then quickly gets like sidelined, and it's like this kind of smacks of design that was done by just like a couple people where they didn't then have the inside of a larger group to be like hey this is where the game drags and it's pretty easy to identify that and and but like to say like okay this is this is really a talented team but here's the parts where the game drags that's one way to say that and to be positive and also be you know uh offer criticism the other way to say it is 
this game is like boring as fuck. I'd rather eat like seven dogs assholes than play this fucking pile of shit. And that's what just like a lot of YouTubers will go for with that because it's shocking and it's easy. It's like, it's easier to be negative, overtly negative, and get like laugh clicks from twelve year olds than it is to like actually offer constructive criticism of like the ways that they could have improved. And right. I, I don't know. Well, it's yeah. a viable it's a viable business model. I mean, that's the, mm-hmm. that's the bottom line. So, yeah. can you imagine how angry YouTubers and I? I you know, I I I had a I have a YouTube channel. I was pretty active on it for a while. Can you imagine how angry YouTubers would be if every thirty days all your subs went away and you had to re earning them? Because you're right, the number the number of people who subscribe and never come back is it's it's probably well over fifty percent. Mm-hmm. Actually, say it's way more than fifty percent. Like wow. I, I'd be willing to bet that most people that subscribe to uh, most YouTube channels, it's probably like eighty percent are just people that are like passive subscribers. I think yeah, I, mean, I, I think it would separate the good from the bad, but I mean the YouTubers would lose their shit. Well, I, a yeah. lot of YouTubers know that a lot of people that watch the videos are not even subscribed to them because their people are not looking at their subscriber list or just clicking on whatever YouTube recommends them. And then they'll just do the thumbnail. That's why the thumbnail and whatever they title the video is more important than like even their past content necessarily. Yeah. And the drop off rate, I think is like 90% drop off in the first 10 seconds of any video. Yeah, absolutely. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. Wow. I did not know that. That's a, Mm -hmm. that's crazy. So if you guys want to learn more about this, there's this guy named Devin Nash and he like actually is like a COO of like one of the biggest streamer groups on Twitch but he goes over like YouTube and Twitch and goes into details because he's a numbers guy and he's a business guy. And so he gives like, he's the only person that actually gives details on like how these things work and how these platforms are. And a big problem too, is that like people get this information in their head and then three years will pass and they'll have this old information while the platforms have actually changed. Yeah. That's especially true with um, stuff related to gaming because the game industry changes so quickly. Like, yes. 2015 Steam was a completely different like situation than 2020 Steam. That's only five years. That's not that long in like in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I these are the important. Now you all understand why I hired Scar to do our business and growth because uh, she knows these things, and I'm just a guy that likes to make video games and talk about them. So. <laughs> I have strong opinions that I can't back up with facts, like most gamers. <laughs> <laughs> You'll learn it. Okay. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Well, let me ask you about, like, how long did it take to make Dusk? Uh, three years. Okay. And you were, like, a mostly... Yeah, what was that like? You were mostly, like, a solo person, and then when did people start jumping in? Um, yeah, mostly... So, um... The way Dusk worked was it started out as a solo project after I got burnt out on doing um, narrative-driven horror games, uh, and I, I like I'm I'm sort of a workaholic, and so when I was doing those, I was working like I ended up I, I can't remember, it was like several games in a year's time that I finished a release. Now, granted, they're short, but I was working, you know hard on them and each subsequent one subsequent one did worse than the last one so that got really frustrating so basically i got to a point where i'm just like screw it i'm taking a break and then that led to me completely switching gears and starting on dusk um so i just developed that 
on my own and figured I'll take a year and I'll make this and that'll be bigger than all these other ones and you know hopefully it'll do well. And then I ended up randomly sending a demo to Dave and mm. he loved it and then it became a New Blood game. Um, New Blood at that point was completely different than New Blood is now. Um, mm. So for I don't know a good six months maybe or maybe less. It was basically just. I just worked on Dusk, and I talked to Dave occasionally about it. Um, and then stuff happened, and uh, basically we ended up building new New Blood um, out of Dusk fans. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we ended up having, like, now there's a guy working on multiplayer, because I started working on multiplayer and just got hit a brick wall with it, because multiplayer is super difficult, and it's, like, super black magic. Um, so we brought in a guy from the community. I'm like, hey, he's done Unity multiplayer stuff before. I'll, you know, maybe he can help. Um, brought in some people to do QA and blah, blah, blah. All this stuff happened. And then by the end, um, by by the time we got to uh, working on episode three, it's like there were several people, most still mostly me. Throughout the whole thing, it's like I was doing like 90% of the work. Mm-hmm. Um, but then by the end, we also had... Um, someone who went did some stuff with the UI and menus. We had Scott working on multiplayer. We had all the QA guys um, who contributed levels to multiplayer. Um, and then now that it's released, we have, uh, for the most part, it's other people working on it. Um, like there's a guy working on the SDK, which I've I've done a little bit of work on, but not nearly as much as he has. Um, and a couple guys working on the switch port. So it was a weird like progression from it being a completely solo project to being still mostly a solo project, but with a lot of asterisks. <laughs> um yeah, d- dusk development was just super weird, basically. Right. Um Sorry. and within that it started in uh when did it was it twenty sixteen? I think it was 2016 when I started it. I'd have to go back and look. But um, it was Dusk ended up, like, it was a, a gamble. It was sort of an unavoidable gamble because it took so much time. And within those three, you know, plus or whatever years where we were working on it, the, you know, the reality of releasing a game on Steam changed a whole bunch. Um, mm-hmm. And which was quite a, you know, it... It could have been, the, and this sometimes happens with games, and it's really sad to see where you'll see a developer who, like, uh, like the the recent one that had at least within the last year or so, the one that you saw happening um, a few times over was it was someone who started work on their project back in like 2014 or 2015, back when. Um, if you were developing an indie game with a decent, like, decent budget and resources behind it, um, and a decent level of polish, that was sort of, like, you know, you put some money into marketing, you put money into getting good art and polishing the game up, it's like, that's how you make a successful game. They started it back at that time, and then finished it back at, like, you know, 2018 or 2019, where that was no longer applicable. So you'd have these situations that we all saw during that period where this game would come out and it would just, like, flop. And it turns out they put, like, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars into developing it, mm-hmm. um, which absolutely sucks. So that could have easily been the situation with Dusk, and we're very 
lucky that it didn't turn out being that. I don't, I don't think you're lucky. I think that Dusk is like a fundamentally uh, like good game. Well, no, I well, there's a lot of Doom games. Okay, so like you just said three misconceptions that people have about game development. I just want to point out. First one is the luck factor. Every every game that's finished is a miracle. Every game that's mm-hmm. even finished, so let alone being successful. Two, that the myth about solo developer, like people that are solo developers, a lot of time they do have publishers that do help with like distribution, localization, and bug fixes, and yeah, like all these other things. And then three, mm-hmm. uh, there is a ton of shit to do after release. You don't just hit that button and then just poof, you know, you can relax. Like, you have more work to do post-release. Well, you can. It depends on the yeah. It depends on the situation. If we're talking mm-hmm. like, like, honest, my, I, I work for New Blood now. As mm-hmm. my title, as we talked about before, titles are bullcrap, but my title is creative director, which isn't really what I do. What I really do is any number of random things. <laughs> um, <laughs> but my real passion is still in, like, bottom tier like no budget you know mostly solo game development and if we're talking in that area um where we're we're talking about like you spend a few months working on this game and then you release it and hope that you can earn you know a couple hundred on it or whatever and you move mm-hmm. on to the next one then you do you do kind of release a thing and then just forget about it yeah. to at least to more of an extent than if you're doing like a new blood game where yeah, you or you know, something more on that level where it's like, no, you don't just you don't just put something out there. There's gonna be patches, there's gonna be, you know, now the the meta of Steam is the long tail. It's not release day. Uh you don't get a ton on release day. You you try to keep the game um relevant for I, I don't even know how long probably a year or more (laughs) but it's like so you know you've got to keep updating and having reasons for you know to be able to do like featured rounds or whatever and blah 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 yeah i call it like commercial projects versus personal projects that's how i call it like and there Mm -hmm. and if you try to do in between that it doesn't work out usually Usually, there's a couple guys that make it work Yeah. My, one of my one of my idols is um, Jeff Vogel of Spiderweb Software, who basically has been that sort of indie developer since before indie dev was even really like way way before indie dev was a thing. Like we're talking '90s, he was making these sort of games where he you know with like zero marketing and just sort of putting it out there on his own. But yeah, for the most part, mid ground is a is a dicey place to be. I mean, or you can make, like, a game in, like, a month and just put it out there in, like, YOLO. Shit's easy, bro. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm... I am personally of the opinion that, um... More... I don't want to say more titles, the better, because that's that makes it sound like I'm... I would advocate just, like, shitting out complete garbage, but, like, mm-hmm. um... Like I said, the whole new meta is long tail. You know, yes. it's not that you put it out and then you get, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of sales and then they drop to nothing. It's that you want this thing to be getting a trickle for a long period of time. Um, and so I, I am an advocate for having a couple sources of that trickle out there um, and sort of 
uh, nurturing those for a good long time. David, Jeffy, I was going to say, I think you'll see some of that middle come back and you're already starting to with the subscription services, which I'm a big fan of. I'm a huge fan of Xbox Game Pass, for example. Um, The number of games I've played on that service that I would have never bought that that are not AAA uh, that have these massive budgets that are just kind of like, like I, in my wildest dreams, I would have never played Minecraft dungeons. And before that I played a narrative game last weekend, uh, called, uh, uh, deliver us the moon, which is a, a first person kind of like Edith Finch in out, outer space. I love games like that, but I would have never dropped 29 bucks on it, you know, and, and cracked it but i open up game pass just like i open up netflix and here's this cool adventure game that takes place on the moon fuck it i'll try it and it and it took up my whole weekend and that is decidedly a game i mean i think it was actually an indie game but in terms of production value it looks like something that most people would say you know certainly cost you know five to eight million dollars probably didn't they kind of look like it did in a lot of ways so for me i i actually see the I am a big believer that we're going to see next-gen subscription services, whether it's PS Now, Game Pass, yes. anything's happening on, on, on the PC side, really begin, just like they've done with movies, uh, to, mm-hmm. to kind of start shifting the landscape of development based on the fact that we're able to take chances now on things that aren't either super bottom-of-the-barrel indie in terms of price uh, or the next big AAA, which I think, as a developer and a gamer, I love. I mean, that's actually I'm actually future. scared of subscription, um, the subscription model, because um, the other side of that would be what has happened with uh, the music industry, where it is very difficult to make a living as a musician or composer because no one's going to buy albums. They, you, they just stream music. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt. I, I, I think it's going to probably eviscerate a number of developers that are used to charging $9.99 for their indie game. Um, I, mm-hmm. think you're, I, I think it's going to be like Netflix. I think you're going to go to Microsoft, or you're going to go to a publisher and say, hey, look, I want to make this game for $2 million, uh, and, and you're going to get funding that way. But I, I absolutely agree. I don't think it's good for the the scrappy one man insurgent indie developer I, at, at yeah. all. But I do think it's good for consumer. Yeah, yeah, it is. Which uh, ideally the two would uh, coincide. Yeah. Like, what's good for? Yeah. You but you know what's it still worries me because I'm like, like I said, that's the area where I really like working, and I'm like, oh, I really don't want that to go away. No, I, I suddenly I have you. to go, I don't know, tune pianos again or whatever to make my living. <laughs> but see, what I love about it is I, I have to imagine, and I don't know if this is true, but I, I remember actually talking to Dave at New Blood when Dust came out. And you guys tweeted out like a sales threshold. And I remember tweeting to him, I'm like, are you kidding? And this is like the very first month because I, I was a huge proponent of this game the minute I played it. I'm like, are you kidding? You guys haven't broken a million. This thing should be a massive fucking hit. He's like, it's totally different, Jaffe, than what you're used to dealing with on consoles. It's like for us to sell 50,000 know, in the first month, that's a huge deal for us. And I'm like, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize the metrics were different. The idea of something, I imagine some people look at something like Dusk or even Dread X. I don't. Those are the games that I gravitate towards. But I imagine the production value crowd look at it and go, Oh, I'm not going to take a chance on those games because they don't look 
blazing next gen. But I would imagine yeah. get so many more people going, holy shit, this Dusk thing that I've heard about, it's free on Game Pass for the next, it's not free, but you know what I'm saying, it's free to them <laughs> in their minds for the next three months. Holy cow, I would have never played this before. This thing is better than 90% of the AAA shooters that come out. Um, That's true. That would be a potential upside. Um, I guess, I mean, I agree that it's, I think stuff is moving that way. I would prefer if it didn't, just because I tend to be a bit of a pessimist about things, and for me it's just like, oh, great, now there goes my career. But who knows, maybe it would, there will be, I mean, indie devs always see the, uh, the negative side. So of course most of uh most of the the indie dev community is like, oh yeah, if that happened it would kill indie games and which it might. I don't know. It's it's hard to know. If you're smart, you're gonna adapt. That's all I'm gonna say. Well yeah, that's I I think that's a that's the mark of someone um who will succeed in it, really any industry is looking at stuff and not saying, oh, well, now I'm defeated, looking at it and being like, okay, how do I adapt to this? Which yeah, is... That's why... Yeah. It's, no, I was going to say I agree. That's an, it's, a, it's, a, it's an inspiring statement, because you're right. You Anything that comes at you, if you've got the, 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 the makeup, you'll, you'll find a way to make it work. I, I will say, as a film fan, mm-hmm. uh, and as a horror fan specifically, I have benefited so much from Things like Netflix and things like Hulu and thing you know things like Amazon because they're making more movies now that don't have to be the next AAA. They're making movies that uh, it almost feels like the heyday of VHS, where it's like holy cow, they're making anything now. And I'd like to think that's going to translate into games. That may be the optimist in me, though, uh, Dave. That may be absolutely wrong. I look at subservices in the same way I look at VHS and go, there was a whole explosion of creativity. Because they had to fill that pipeline, and we're seeing that with movies on Netflix. I'd like to think we're going to see that with games on things like Game Pass, but that may be just ignorant. I don't know. I certainly hope so. The thing with games, though, is that we kind of already have that with the ease of, or we already kind of had that with the ease of getting some stuff onto Steam. Um, or like, I, I definitely hope you're right, though. I think it's a cost. Um, of, I think it's a cost of goods thing, though. Even if you, it's easy to get it on Steam. It's still, mm-hmm. you know, it's still twenty bucks. It's still twenty five bucks. Um, oh, I was talking more about the ease of like uh, putting a game on Steam. Oh when, yeah, like, green light. From a consumer standpoint, I was looking at. Okay, it gotcha. I mean, that was uh, what you guys are talking about here with the subscription model and trying to create those kinds of uh, ease of access. That was like the the motivation behind starting the Dread X collection was to create something that was uh, easy for indie developers to show off their talents, deliver something consistently new to the consumers, and um, uh, and then be able to replicate that month after month. I mean, the ideal, the idea of the the whole what we're trying to do with the label is to deliver this game now and deliver the next one. Uh, the official word will be soon, um, and then being being able to then translate that into, okay, now we're coming out with bigger kind of games and, and not necessarily being a, a, a Netflix-like subscription model, but at least uh, it, very similar as like A24 is a film label that people will buy that label because of the, like the curated nature of 
the 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 the, the label itself. You know, mm-hmm. people trust A twenty four, and in the world of horror gaming, that label doesn't really exist. Like, people will buy Bloober Team games, I guess. That's like one of them that. Uh, so, like, you know, Layers of Fear Observer or uh, Frictional Games, but they're only coming out with the games, you know, once, uh, and they're 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 night like their own studio. You know, it's like they're only and they're only coming out with games once every couple of years. What we want to do is be able to consistently promote indie creators, not necessarily create these five hundred million dollar games or whatever, but you know, something more reasonable budget, reasonable time frame, and then deliver consistently. And kind of build up a, not, a large enough network of indie creators through this that we can deliver a title, you know, every month from a different person, so that you know, of the of the twelve people participating in the the next Dread X collection, is it going to be that if they all, I mean, are, are we going to do one of each of their games as a full version for January, February, March, April? Who knows? And then to still to try to do the collection as like a monthly thing, um, to just accentuate new creators and to try to create some kind of place that people can go to find new innovative and interesting experiences in horror that are not just random shit thrown onto itch.io. Cause that's the problem with itch.io is that even though it is like an epicenter for a lot of new experimental horror, it's really hard to get discovered on it. Cause there's so many games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's um, kind of what you imply. There is an interesting point, which is that the, um, for the, the possible, um, subscription model becoming the new the new thing for games in some ways that also brings back the uh curated aspect that in some ways as the the lack of curation has helped us indie devs in other ways it's hurt us because on the one hand like i i would never have become a game developer if greenlight didn't exist you know i i wasn't making anything that anyone would have uh picked up for publishing or anything like that. I couldn't promote it on my own. It's like, I got my start by putting something on Greenlight. Um, but then on the other hand, you have that issue of, well, now that the playing field is level, now it's really hard for anybody to get noticed. You know, the 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 old the old ways before Steam opened the floodgates was, hey, if you get on Steam, you instant millionaire. You know, you, you have it made. Um, and now, of course, it's like, well... How 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 do you like you're on Steam? How do you get people to care about your game? And you, have- you, you know that's that's the new. So it um it could be that now I'm not really a huge fan of curation just because I don't have um the faith that uh it would work in my own personal favor if that makes sense. Um, but like looking at it kind of objectively it's like having some form of curation which a subscription model would have um you know just by default you can't have everything on the subscription model netflix does not have every, you know netflix does not let just anyone throw up their their videos um that could end up being a good thing for indie gaming as a whole you know letting letting um Kind of, kind of getting rid of a couple tiers, um, so that the tiers above that are able to succeed better. If that makes sense. I think, yeah. I think that like if you had given Dusk to a different publisher, they may have been interested in giving you money. But the fact that it was that like Dave Oshry picked it up and he was like, "I know what to do with this," you know, like he 
kind of understood the audience and how to talk to them. And this is why uh, you need kind of people like me and Dave, even though we're not coders, you know, we don't know how to program. But, you know, we do have these skills of like getting it to the public and kind of understanding who the audience is. And we do research and we, you yeah. know, like that's why marketing matters. And this is why marketing is like community managers are becoming more integral into like studios, even if they're smaller indie studios. And that's why also there is these hybrids between publishers and developers. It used to be very separate, but now they're getting mixed in together, like people like Finji um, and like Rose City Games and, and yeah plenty of other kit box like it's becoming that's <laughs> new becoming blood. Really, new blood yeah <laughs> it's becoming yeah like yeah. it's like the publishers are helping more with not just localization but also like adding multiplayer and adding yeah like bug fixes and stuff like that so they have like in-house coders and publishing houses for that reason mm-hmm. and let's not forget my important part in this whole process which is that i have a podcast <laughs> it's a very important part of the production uh the production line is that to then go talk about it on a podcast where maybe even dozens of people will will be able to hear opinions. <laughs> well, I think what you're you're doing with DreadX is really cool. Like like I've said before, I think maybe on this podcast I, uh, I don't know. I've said before it's like hey, I will hey, this is, you know, you pay me a salary to make a game in a week. I'll do that pretty much every time. Well, yeah, um, and it's a I, it's a very good opportunity for indie devs who, for the most part, you you as a so you know you're an artist, you can get commissions. You're a composer, sound designer, you can you can go do contract work. Um, game developer, like just like a, a solo ish game developer, you don't get hired out really. Like no one is no for the you don't have people be like, hey. I'm going to pay you to make this game, you know? So having that opportunity is like really attractive. I think for a lot of us, we're like, Oh, Hey, cool. We can like, we we can just like, like do a contract like these other people do. And it's great. How did that work for you? So you're the creative director at new blood. You're still an indie. So, so the dread guys paid you outside of your new blood deal or new blood just said, fuck it, take a week off and go do it. Because I don't yeah, basically. Think new blood, right? <laughs> um. So no, no, it was just me. It because new blood is run by Dave, and Dave doesn't give a fuck. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, "Hey, Dave, I'm taking a week off to do this thing." He was like, "Okay, cool. I'm gonna go get high." I so <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's how that conversation went. But um, yeah, it, basically, it's because we're we're very sort of loose with stuff. I'm pretty sure if it started getting in the way of progress. Um, okay. he'd start getting mad. Like, I, I'm probably not, I'm probably not going to be able to do it super, super regularly. But until yeah, yeah. that point comes, <laughs> if, Ted, if Ted comes to you and they're like, "We want to make a full featured version of what is the game Pony Death? What's the what's Pony the Factory? Pony Factory." I, I imagine at that point you'll have a conversation with New Blood, and it's like they want to make a real game out of this. Shit, what do we do? Yeah, that would that would probably get complicated. <laughs> Although I do have I, I do have ideas for a full game just in well, case. Sure. But... Oh, I'm fucking sure. It's fun. I, I will say that it has been really great working with New Blood so far. Dave uh, is. I mean, we also had Airdorf working on this last one, yes. who uh, did you know uh, the Summer Night game in our in our collection that everyone loves my nemesis okay here's the thing (laughs) people like a lot of our games like and i was really expecting the big the big selling points to be 
Pony Factory and Summer Night. And I'm just being transparent because those are the two biggest names in the project. I mean, certainly Summer Night, because Airdorf is like superstar horror dev. So Airdorf has all these fangirls. So anyways... Uh, yes, he, he does. It's insane. Which he, which he loves. So, like, like, yeah, well, I just want to say that. real quick that like... I think I think probably maybe people listening would be like, oh yeah, Dusk. You know, everyone loves Dusk. You'd be the the big name there. No, um, in horror communities, it's Airdorf. He's he's like like no one knows who I am. They're like, oh Dusk. I think I've heard of that, but freaking Faith Dev. Oh my gosh, I gotta play this game. Yeah. Well, and but no, here's the thing: is that people are responding really well to other games in the collection from some of the smaller creators, like Hand of Doom. People fucking love that game. Yeah, which, as they should, it's a cool little game. Yeah, and that was really cool: is being able to bring Reed on. Who, you know, when when I reached out to Reed, it was because Erdorf was like, I worked with this guy. Oh, sorry, Torpal Duke is his developer name, but I know him as Reed because that's his like human name. Um, and I was like, uh. That is another generational thing. Like, you know, David Jaffe over here is David Jaffe. He's not like Star Wars 69 or something like that. <laughs> right. Uh, right that, but, that's, that, that's my fake name. You don't think that's a cool fake name? Now my, my feelings are hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Jaffe was a cool fucking name to pick up. Oh, well. Yeah. Um, but anyways, the, uh, the, your, dude, if you had a screen name, it would be something about Spider-Man for sure. Uh and uh, David I mean, I my company, you know, after you know the West Wing and Indiana Jones, so that, that's that's as close as it got. <laughs> well, anyways, um, fuck, what was I saying? Something about the the cl- oh yeah yeah yeah. Uh, but Torvald, you know, he had like eighty eight followers when we first picked him up, and to see him grow and like people like his game and respond to it and like independently reach out, like hey, that was really cool. Like that was been really awesome to see, and that's but the, that's probably the coolest part about doing this collection is that you know yeah. I, I, I know that I didn't take that big of a risk. It was $25,000 and a week of, uh, and for me it was because I uh, designed the launcher and then I um, story and I did all the other stuff. Like um, I, I, I did work for this. I, I, I tried, <laughs> but uh, like uh, overall, if it had failed, you know, but it was a risk because my, my, my gamble was we could make good quality products in a week if instead of doing it like a game jam, we instead have it be a little bit more structured, still allow people the level of creativity and actually pay them so that – because that's the thing is that game jams exist, but they don't pay you. So the reason that you usually get lower quality stuff out of them is because it's people that like have a few days to burn where they don't have to work. So I was like, well, what if we actually go to higher quality devs and pay them for this? And like, and like I said, I can't talk about any of the next – group but I, i've only ran into one guy that was like no i don't want to do that every other dev i've run into is like yeah that sounds fucking great i like to get paid and do something creative and we forget that we forget that people get into it, the games industry to like be creatives mm-hmm. yeah that was another really attractive pro- oh sorry go ahead i was gonna say most games take years the fact that it's like you're mm-hmm. seven days and you're done that's pretty amazing yeah, yeah. that was super attractive to me because like i've I've never done. I never did a game jam before that because I mean I'm a working indie dev. Like I don't have that. That's how I make my living. I don't have time to do something for fun. I need to do the thing that's going to get me paid. So I've never done a game jam before. But I was always I always wanted to because the idea of just taking as limited amount of time and then having a product to show for it is like really attractive. I I I think that a lot of people were also attracted to that like shorter time scale. And I, I've, I've believed for a very long time that a lot of the reason that indie games specifically take so long to make um, is because of the uh, feature creep and also um, 
like a lot of uh, your life gets in the way. Like over that three years of making dusk, like you probably had to like go to the grocery store a couple of times at least, you know, like other yes. things you had to do. I had, a, the... I had a child during that. So. Yeah, right. No, exactly. <laughs> but with like, with a one week development cycle, there's only so much that can come up. And if something does come up and uh, like, we had a very fluid development cycle for this. So like, it wasn't like start now and now it was like, Hey, as long as you do the seven days, anytime within this month, you're pretty much good. And um, so, like, there were people that, like, you know, they had to do half days. There were people that kind of, like, they got sick and they had to take some time off. Um, but I, I think that having that limited window and limited scope and, like, forced limited scope, like, you could only do so much, really helped create compelling products that were, uh, I mean, like, I, and I really don't feel like any of these games, if you played them, you were like, that was probably made in seven days, you know? Mm-hmm. And I know I'm shooting my own horn a lot, but. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's really impressive what people managed to do. I've only, I've still only played a few of them, actually, though. I keep waiting. I'm thinking I might stream, like, some of the uh, uh, the ones that I haven't played. Oh my god, you gotta point. stream Outsiders so that you can have that yeah. streamer experience of us being in the comments giving you hints. Uh, I think I already played Outsiders. I think that's one of the few ones that I already played. Oh, did you beat it? Uh, no, admittedly, I didn't beat it. So, I think I, I got to a point where I couldn't progress and I thought it was a bug. But that oh, was no. before release. <laughs> so not play the game until you see the ending, because the ending okay, well, is I a gotta play the full twist. Yeah, yeah, it is great. Well, unfortunately, love, somebody spoiled the twist for me, so <laughs> I know yeah. I know what the the concept behind it is. But I will still, yeah, I'll still uh, beat it at some point. Knowing it, it's still pretty cool to see it. I will say okay. that. Let me ask you this, because I I and I won't spoil anything for your listeners, but in summer nights, which I really enjoyed got to the part where the thing happens which I enjoyed very much then things happened in that part where I died and it sent me back to the part before the part where the thing happens Mm -hmm. I'm going okay is there a reason to go through no yeah that's there's only there's only really one ending um but you either do the thing and do it successfully and, and it says good job or you die and then it kicks you back to the start um but like get off our backs we only had seven days (laughs) <laughs> I, I didn't i didn't know because i was like oh fuck i gotta do this whole fucking tiger electronics thing again no i'm done well it's yeah. so funny because with that one um they were like um like can you when you do the thing there's a there's a thing that you can go that looks like it leads to another thing and they're like can i is there a thing up there in that right. other thing right. and i was like no and then they're like well there should be and I was like, we did it in seven days. Chill. <laughs> that is that is the real that is the value that you do get. Um, um, every game I've ever worked on, I've never done an indie game. Every game has been Sony funded, big console mm-hmm. game, all that stuff. And the value of playtesting, um, yes. you know, and I see that in the Dread X collection, which is like, I'm, 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 I, I, as I've told you on chat, I think what you guys are doing is amazing. I've been looking for. You know, I look at this and I say, maybe this is, is what I've been hoping for as a developer and a player, which is like somebody to sort of Roger Corman or Jason Blumhouse horror games, um, mm-hmm. what, what they do in movies. But I, I would say the seven-day development, but maybe next time you guys can add like a five-day play test and then a one-day or two days to address those notes because so much – a game gets so much better just because it you're so close to it. You're yes, playtesting is. You're telling yes. me that I could have done. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, playtesting is super important. It was mm-hmm. definitely. Uh, 
it, it was definitely scary to be releasing something without that for the first time in many years. Uh, and, you know, it's funny that you bring that up because we actually, in this next one, we have already built that into the cycle. So. That's awesome. awesome. Yeah. I am happy for that. Because there are a couple things that people have mentioned about the Pony Factory that I'm like, I did not know that. I did not know that casual <laughs> mode was broken. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we basically are taking like what has already happened and we're trying to improve every collection after that. Uh, and try, yeah, because we you don't know what you need until somebody tells you, right? Like the mm-hmm. the market is different from what other developers are going to tell you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we'll, hopefully, by the it, third collection, we'll, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, what I'm thinking is, um, like, this next. I think that people are going to be impressed with what we do with this next one, and I'm really excited for people to be able to like learn because it's it's like uh you know the shemansky over here he he knows who's in it (laughs) yeah it's Uh, pretty impressive yeah so i'm excited to be able to show that off Um, i'm like i'm getting i've i've been being nervous because i'm like oh crap what am i gonna do that's gonna like measure up now (laughs) yeah i I know this idea but is that good enough i'm amazed that you guys maybe because the language barrier the fact that you guys got kojima working with oh shit never mind sorry (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I mean, he basically, he actually said RPT was better, so that's why he's doing this one now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's publishing indie games now. I didn't know that. Kojima is. Is that right? right? Yeah, he's he's publishing indie games now. I think that, um, uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm of I, I mixed opinions about Kojima, because I think he's a great creator, um, but I also think he's a weird person. But that's fine. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. yes. He's very yeah. weird. Everyone the, agrees he's a weird person. Club, pal. <laughs> Even fans, they're like, "Yeah, boy, boy, that's uh, this is weird." So, uh, back question like Sweary. Question, question back to Jaffe again, real quick here. How long did it take to make God of War? Um, that was three years. Wow. So, uh, about the same amount of time as Dusk. And in your opinion, which is better, Dusk or God? Of War? <laughs> um, Dusk is a better moment mechanical piece i think um out of war is a better experience um but dusk is just a sublime piece of play mechanics i'll tell you what are you worried when you were making that and i i could be wrong and maybe there is a tab map in that game but the 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 non-linear level it harkens back to sort of the, the old Quake days where you have to learn that level and learn visual cues and you let the player get lost and you let the player figure things out, which I adore. I mean, I, if you haven't played it and you're listening, that doesn't mean the game is overwhelming. It's a very user-friendly game, but it's not like Call of Duty where you're pretty much led by the nose. Was that something you were ever worried about because that's not the norm anymore? Or were you like, no, that's one of the pillars of the design and fuck it. If it works, it works, but I want to make that kind of game. Um, so what, what ended up has, so dusk was actually one of the first, I know there's a whole bunch of retro FPS throwbacks now. Um, dusk was actually one of the first ones. So when I was starting to work on that, it wasn't a concern because there wasn't like, Literally, my goal was just like, I'm going to make this thing that harkens back to these things I love, and no one else has really made something like this um, recently, so I'll just make it and figure that, like, if I like this, probably there are some other people out there who like it also. Um, And then by the time it kind of started getting into the point of, like, there's some competition, and maybe you would then start worrying about, okay, well, what 
what parts really need more, you know, what parts do I really need to think more about what needs modernized and stuff. Um, when it got to that point, we like already released stuff to the public and gotten feedback from it. So it was already like, okay, we know what works and we know what doesn't. So like early on, you know, it was, I, I spent, I, I did spend a lot of time, you know, trial and error, figuring out how dusk level design worked. But early on, it was like it, it, we had feedback and, and, you know, stuff to go off of, of, of like what people tended to resonate with and what people could figure out. Like a lot of the levels of design in Dusk is actually, um, if you compare it to things from, you know, the nineties, like rise of the triad or like games like that, um, or even, even games like doom or Duke 3d, um, a lot of Dusk's level design is actually fairly straightforward. Uh, there aren't, too many for the most part there aren't too many um dead ends there's not a lot of paths that don't in some way loop around to the critical path um so even though it's you know it's not really a linear game it does still there there aren't too many ways where the player can get lost there are a few i've definitely seen people on you know videos and on stream get lost but for the most part they always find their way again and they still have fun while they're lost I get lost. Um, I get lost all the time, but I have a great deal of fun. It's a lot more satisfying than just being put in a trough and going go shoot some things. I, I I love the level design of that game. Yeah, thank you. I've I have always really enjoyed the exploration aspect of retro FPS, and also the having to be on your toes a little bit and having to actually critically engage with the environment you're in, and you know remember landmarks and think about how you're moving through it and the the spatial relationships of everything. I've always really enjoyed that aspect. So that was always something I did want to have in Dusk. Now, it would have been cool to have a mini-map like Doom. I would have really liked to do that, but the problem is um, there is a reason that the mini-map for FPS basically, or that sort of like, you know, overhead overlay map, there's a reason that just like instantly disappeared the moment that uh, True 3D became a thing. And that's because oh, yeah, you see there's, it in Doom, right? Yeah, it's a nightmare yeah. in Doom. Well, I mean, in it, in, yeah, I mean, in the newest one, they did a really, really good job of trying to make it work, and for the most part, I think it was su- pretty successful. But it, it's still like there's you cannot do an overlay minimap in a true 3D game. When you, as soon as you have room over room, you can't do that. You're, at best, you're going to get like a Doom Eternal Metroid Prime sort of map, which is not nearly as instant or intuitive. And so that's, you know, for Dusk, it was like, well, I was already basically, you know, I've said before, and I think this still stands, that finishing Episode 3 is one of the hardest things I've ever done. It was just like, it, it was just um, dragging, you know, p- other people helping to drag me over the finish line at that point. So, you know the thought of like doing the immense amount of work involved with making dusk and then also having to go back to do like map volumes and try and figure out how to make a mini map work and stuff. It's like, eh, no, I, we're I, just going to design these. I, didn't, I didn't need it. I was asking cause I'm like, Oh shit. Did I fucking not even know there was a map? I very much enjoyed my, I'm in those levels. Um, the only other question about that is did something bad happen to you as a child with a horse? Because now you've got two games in a row. <laughs> No, um, demonic horses that are just nightmare fucking ponies and horses. Yeah, no, there's a really easy explanation for that, and that's just that. Um, I find the aesthetics of like horse and deer skulls to be 
uh, inherently freaky. I just think they look freaky. That's the, that's literally the only explanation. So like, um, oh, actually, for uh, there's a whole bunch I could talk about with Pony Factory where uh, decisions that were kind of made um, with the weak limit in mind, and knowing that like as a developer, I don't really I don't really purchase um, meshes or things like that. So you know, thinking about, like, what can I reviews from previous games, and what do I have to make? And one of those decisions was, I was like, okay, well, the enemies are going to have, you know, horse or deer skulls, because I think that's freaky, but also they're going to be fleshless, and the reason is that it's much easier to texture something that is just a bunch of muscle than it is to texture something that isn't just a bunch of muscle. Uh, so that could be done I, faster. I that game, whenever I play your game, the Pony Factory, I like to pretend... That's where the spirits of people's My Little Pony toys go when they abandon them. <laughs> well, that's actually, yeah. that's actually what you're shooting at. It's like, that's that's how I like to play it. Well, someone told me, like, later, like, after after it was too late to reconsider, kind of, they were like, hey, you know there's, like, a famous My Little Pony, like, creepypasta called the Rainbow Factory, right? And I'm like, oh, well, okay, oops. I didn't, I didn't know that either. Yeah, it's, there's always something. Yeah, no, but I I think that uh uh the reception to the Pony Factory has been you know really <laughs> it's been so my favorite part watching streamers play it is the first pony you know yeah out of the dark yeah it's just it's it's not even like a setup jump scare or anything it's just like hey if you move too much this way the enemy sees you yeah <laughs> it's it's pretty great I I like that um. And, and they're uh, like, what my, is that thing? What? Yeah, and my favorite is the people that are trying to be like. There's, there's always the streamers that are trying to be like hardcore. You know, they're they're like whatever, not scary. Um, <laughs> which is a whole different conversation about horror. Is the whole not scary crowd. Um, right. But then that happens, and they're like, oh, and then they're like, whatever, it wasn't really that scary. <laughs> well, that's the <laughs> thing with it is that it's not. It's supposed to be like you're not really supposed to take the game that seriously. It's about, it's it's stupid. Like, that's, you know, it's supposed to be, like, grotesque and kind of disturbing, but also funny. I think, the oh, minute, I think the minute there was the one standing up, turning ears, yeah. he's on his hind legs, and the light started flashing, that freaked me the fuck out. I love surreal stuff like that. I thought that was super wonderfully disturbing. It was great. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's supposed to be in that area of like, well, this is funny, but it's like grotesque and surreal, and so it it's still scary, even though it's not, you know, completely serious. Because that's something that turned out to work really well in Dusk, uh, where a lot of like the horrors, um, those those enemies in Episode Three, like the the guys with the giant mouths. I really designed them to just be like so ridiculous that they were funny. Um, but I've had a lot of people be like, what are you talking about? They're just terrifying. And so I've kind of, uh, taken that and I've thought a lot about that where I'm like, you know, I apparently have a twisted enough sense of humor that if I just make something horror themed that I think is funny, it'll just parse to normal people as, as disturbing. <laughs> so I sort of ran with that idea. I think it's something about the the low polygon budget, honestly. I mean, those guys with the, the burlap sacks on their fucking heads and shit in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I grew up in the South and all that stuff. I mean, again, it, it kind of goes back to rot gut. There's this kind of, I keep bringing up snuff films and I've never seen a snuff film in my life. Um, but, uh, as far as you know, um, but, but, but it's got this kind of underbelly underground aim that's not really, 
don't make games that look like that. And so in that, it, it is wonderfully disturbing because it feels so unpolished, not in terms of the game product, but the presentation is so, you know, it's not trying yeah. to be game. It's almost like you've, it's almost like found footage. I, 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 I love that. That's really interesting that you say that because literally the game that I'm working on now is a snuff film themed game. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Is that the one you're working on for us? Or no, oh, wait, I no, I have a completely different thing that is. I'm it's, the the it's idea a, I have for you guys mo- is like a mobile so. Match three game. What was that? So it's a mobile match three game as a, with a snuff film theme. It's going to be huge. Yeah, yeah. Is it based no, this on the Nicolas just... Cage movie Eight Millimeter about snuff films? No, I didn't even know that was a thing. Oh yeah, you got to watch it. What is it's really on. great. Let me look this up right now. Eight Millimeter. I mean, yeah. am I the only one that's seen Nicolas... this movie? I've seen it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Did you dream about it? No. Yeah. It's great because it's like before the dark web was a thing, and so they're trying to pretend like the they're trying to like. Oh god! It, it's like it's it's okay. So it is. You know when they portray hacker culture in old movies, and it's just like guys like, I'm yeah. in, yeah. like uh, the, like seven monitors. It's like that, but they're trying to imagine this like world of like snuff film distributors and like the. the oh, I'd be super into that. Yeah, I need great. to see this. Metacritic, it's a, it's Metacritic pretty, score of nineteen. Yeah, I gotta see this. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. It's fine. It's a fun. It's a it's a stupid horror movie that tries to be like seven, basically, but with snuff films. Yeah, uh, and it's it has Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage. There you go. So it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, um, so yeah I find like something. How... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I just want to ask you about like how important is lore to you and story, or is it mostly mechanics? Who are you asking? Uh, Swansky. Um, that's I. Well, okay. So like before dusk, I don't know if uh, any of you guys here have played any of the stuff I did before dusk. Um. Ted, I think you have, right? I have. I yeah. played both so, uh, Finger Bones and The Silver Moon. Yeah, Moon Sliver. I, I know. <laughs> the I was worst being... title that I've. Yeah. Um, they are all. They are basically walking simulators. They are entirely oh. story. I um, those. Yeah. Well, you should. You should grab them. They're all really flawed, though. Just be aware. Um. So. I don't, and there was this. There's another game that I've been working on that is back to that. It's very, very story heavy. Um, but I, I don't know. It's it's a conflict all the time because I really like game mechanics and just games that are just the mechanics and the world and the atmosphere, and you don't really have to get that worked up in in the actual lore or narrative. But then I also like really like us trying to tell interactive stories. Um, so there's like this this conflict there. <laughs> like with Dusk, uh, I went into Dusk after doing a whole bunch of narrative-focused games, and I was like, I don't want to... E- I just want to do a game. Like, I just want to make something that's fun to play. Um, Dave went into Dusk after working on Rise of the, Twi- bleh, Rise of the Triad 2013, which has zero story, and he's a very... Uh, narrative driven person like his his favorite genre i think is crpgs not fps um so he was like no i want to i i don't ever want to work on a game that doesn't have a story again so uh a lot of the story of dusk was kind of um spearheaded by him by his desire to have that you know narrative component for me i would have been just as happy if it, if it was just like a vague 
framing device, um, and then just bits of un- environmental storytelling. Uh, and same with Pony Factory, where it's like, I only have a week, I can't come up with a cool story, I'll just do this like dumb framing device and just make you shoot stuff. I think that something that needs to make a return are the difficulty gated endings, like with the original painkiller. Like oh the, yeah, yeah, you had, you had to pay on the harder difficulties. Um, yeah, and then it wasn't even canon. Stupid game. <laughs> <laughs> you know what game did have a lot of extra story elements? The more uh, difficulties you beat it on is a small indie game called God of War. Right. Ah. Very small indie game. Yeah, yeah, like the whole uh, the whole subplot about Kratos' brother and stuff like that, that was in that first, very first God of War as one of the collectibles yeah. that you beat it on. And then, you know, we were going to do that with the last Twisted Metal, and then YouTube kind of put an end to that for us. We were thinking about doing something similar, and it was like, you know what, the movies are going to be up on YouTube within an hour of the game releasing. It no longer is that thing where, you know, you can work for it and feel, you just go into YouTube. I'm interested in the lore conversation only because for me, the last 10 years of my career has been exclusively mechanics based multiplayer. And as I've gotten older, like the only video games I want to make anymore, like I don't want to make video games anymore. If I can't make walking simulators, all I want to do now is, is work on, um, I, I thought the game, what remains of Edith Finch, probably one of the best top 10 games ever made. Um, I don't think it was, you know, wonderfully commercial. I think it was, um, as I've gotten older, I still love games. I game all the time. But, you know, I, I don't want to test my metal anymore. I don't need to be kid with the high score in the arcade that I was in the 80s or, or whatever. It's like, I just want to have a great interactive experience. And I have found myself gravitating so much more towards uh, walking sims and specifically horror walking sims so i will pick yours up because i didn't know you made those oh yeah they're they're all i, my... I love that genre and that's the only genre i want to work in moving forward at least for the next five or six years okay like yeah, i said I they all have flaws just be warned they were they were made on zero budget so i mean there yeah but that's the there was a game i played recently called it was called the convenience store that was made on zero budget oh, too. it's just this weird little fucking indie game about a haunted convenience store puppet combos games i fucking love mm-hmm. i don't know you know and it's just it, it's it's the stuff that's just more interesting to me and i as a kid i always wanted to make big commercial blockbuster stuff i always listen to like movie directors that moved out of that it's like how could you not want to make the big tentpole stuff and i didn't get it until i started making stuff and the older i've gotten i'm like i just want stuff that's cool and interesting pings my brain in a fresh interesting way and i do find that happening more in kind of the walking sim genre these days but it may just be an age thing as well who knows no i mean i i I really agree with you i think that especially in horror um there's more opportunities to tell an interesting story um and i think that 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 kind of self i think that horror hits at a different emotive level than i think other typical types of games do i mean there are always going to be people that delve into the story of like or you know david can probably say that there's people that you know have tried to make a story out of dusk and find a secret in lore and things like that but i would say a vast majority of the players just kind of like shoot the guns and have a good time um whereas in horror players are primed to look for secrets I, i would say that most people that play five nights at freddy's are going what's going on here 
this is interesting. What, I wonder what the story is. And they might watch a couple of YouTube videos about it. But uh, as opposed to something like Twisted Metal, where you're talking about, oh, people are just going to go online and watch the, the cutscenes, uh, which they will. I mean, that's just going to happen. There's more, like, there's space now in horror to create uh, interesting questions that people on the internet then try to answer. And I think that that's an integral part of horror games now. It's one of the reasons we, um, with the story for the Dread X collection, which um, it's been really cool to see people, like, DM me about that and be like, okay, is this what's going on? And I'm like, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I do know, though. I'm just not telling them. Uh, there's uh, a meta story for Dread X, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wrote a, I wrote those all those notes that you find. Um, they they tell a story. Um, and one of the things that people don't really notice, right? So the way that I constructed the meta story for the Dread X collection is that we have this intro. Uh, it's like the everyone fears losing their mind, and it sounds like typical horror game melodrama. But once you beat the game and you get the secret ending with like the the secret audio log. It, and then you go back and you look at it again, you realize that it's not melodrama. It's actually the foundation work for the story, but it's not immediately apparent. Um, I, I actually think I might've made it like way too vague for players, but um, I'm hoping that the, the that we, uh, well, what I'm hoping is that Markiplier plays our game. So we sell a billion copies and yeah. uh, then people will start picking up the meta story more. But even so, like I've had people review the game and be like, just that their only comment is the secret message that we hit in. And I'm like, Oh, they found it. That's cool. Um, but, you know, there's, and that's what I'm saying is that when you're talking about like creating horror walking simulators, like the, the tolerance for different communities for various different storytelling is is different. So like someone playing, well, I mean, you had this, uh, uh, the secret kind of stuff in Drawn to Death where it was like, you could go into the, the, oh, what, what I'm trying to remember specifically. There were, um, there were, there was tons of lore in Drawn to Death. And that was, that was one of the reasons that I, that I, I was so heartbroken when that game didn't connect because everybody and it was my fault but everybody only took it on the surface and there was so much happening in the in the lore of that game either in the text or in the actual gameplay or in the environment design i kept waiting for a critic to go wait a minute you guys are missing it this thing is is not this vulgar on the surface thing it's a real sweet story and very few people got it and so that was a great lesson in kind of like so just because you build it, they won't always come. You have to you have to help them come to it. Mm-hmm. That's what I told Ted. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the next the next one is gonna be a little bit more obvious, don't worry. <laughs> I mean it's it's a balance because part of the fun is finding it too. Like I remember it was inspired, I think I may have told you when we talked about Drawn to Death, my kids were huge into Minecraft back in the day. There was that sort of virtual urban legend about Hero Brian, which was the yeah. people of Steve. I don't think he's ever actually, Mojang never put him in the game, but I was just so, it was so evocative to me that my kids and their friends would be like, did you fucking see Hero Brian? And they're on the playgrounds talking about, I saw him, I saw him. I'm like, it would be so cool to actually build that in the game and actually have it pay off. It's just that, you know, Minecraft works because, you know, a billion people are playing it. But if your game doesn't hit, like Minecraft, you got to be a little more obvious that your lore is there. I kind of assumed, oh, if if you hide it, they'll find it, but it didn't work that way. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that um, hiding, the, the, there has to be a certain amount of like visceral reaction that people have to the game in order to hide lore that they want to find. Like Five Nights at Freddy's is first and foremost a scary game, and secondly has like cool lore that Scott Coffin is just still coming up with. <laughs> but um, 
which is which is great. That's a great way to do stories. I'm not throwing shade. Um, I just it's it's like the it's first and foremost a scary game, and um, that's one of the things I, I wanted to. Uh, the balancing like it's difficult is that I wanted I wanted the selling point of the Dread X collection to be the ten games. I didn't want it to be like my writing. I'm not like a fucking egotist. Like well I am, but like I'm not an idiot. And it's obviously not my the selling point is not my writing. Um but uh you know with this next one uh we're planning on doing a lot more with the the front end of the game, the launcher and developing that out and making it kind of its own game and whatever and one of the cool things about doing the program the, the project like this with the Dreadx collection one coming out in um fucking june no when did it come out may like Man, i don't remember dates, dates don't work in my brain yeah so it was end of may uh may 26th there we go um i should get that tattooed so i never forget uh <laughs> and then um May 26th is when it came out, and then the next one should be coming out at some point in the future that's not too too far distant. Um, but, you know, the, one of the cool things about that is that we can ride the promotional window of the previous game into the next one, so that we can be like, so that people can easily go back and be like, oh, what was the story of that? Because one of the hardest parts about following horror canon is that, like, having to go back a decade to find something out. Like, if you want to play the original Resident Evil, well, Resident Evil is a bad example because they've remade that so many times. But, um, <laughs> Like if you try to read, if you okay, a good example is comics. If you tried to read Constantine, like, uh, have any of you ever read Constantine? No, yeah. I love comic books. Um, well, Constantine has like been going on with one continuous canon. Well, I, I think that they rebooted it now, but he had one continuous canon for like fifty years, like a really, really long time. Let's also and, talk about uh, professional wrestling. <laughs> like how do you how do you enter into you know how do you get into that that whole storyline that's been going on for how many decades at this point uh well i, I that's the thing is that you kind of just jump on at different arcs and that's actually very profound of you uh mr shemansky i know that you were making a joke but it, it's it's like very similar is that you like oh is is the rock a good guy or a bad guy right now or is he even wrestling and then you're just yeah, there no it that. wasn't a joke like that's like as someone on the outside who has always wanted to get into to watching wrestling i'm like i have no idea where to even start with this <laughs> look i i got into wrestling i was never into it about 18 months ago i always thought it was so fucking stupid oh it is but it's yeah, the best <laughs> Stupid in a way that I wouldn't want to engage with it. Okay. People on my stream were, you know, there was a, a group on my stream that were always going on about it. So I said, fuck it. Let me, let me watch this stuff. And I just, for a while, I was, I went and saw live wrestling matches. It's so fun. It's a direct vein into like the 10 year old that's still very much alive inside of you. It's a, it's a it's batshit wonderful. And I didn't, it took me a while to understand fans of it because I remember like Ronda Rousey was fighting at Staples everybody was so mean to her and I remember going what the fuck why are they, they're like really mean and they're like Jaffe even the fans are the show they're, they're part of it they know who to boo and who to cheer and it's not personal it's bad guy right now she's the heel I'm like oh I didn't get that you know but I can tell you if you're looking to get into it man it's it's I can only stomach it hardcore you know for a couple of months and i get sick of it and i come back a month later but it's it's really fun it's really yeah fun. it's something i've always wanted to do but uh haven't really i watched i watched some uh lucha underground 
and I've watched, you know, little bits and pieces of other stuff here and there, but never real, not like Dave, where he's like super into watching everything while it's happening and stuff. Interesting. Yeah. Is Dave a wrestling guy? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. That fits. That tracks. Well, there was, there was a time where uh, there was a mower of lawns meme in Dusk. Um, if you examine the first tractor in the game, it'd be like, mower of lawns? Which is some wrestling meme that was like a thing for like a week. And then... Um, I think whenever we were we were localizing the game, I went in and I just took it out because I'm like, this is no like this was relevant for like a week after like it was put in. Yeah, we were at PAX uh, East this year, and Dave's like, gotta go away from game stuff to watch wrestling. Yeah, and so he took a break from yeah his like job, like promoting the games and doing the booth thing. He's like, yeah, fuck this up. I'm just gonna go watch a wrestling match for tonight, so yep. that's how much he cares about it, like <laughs> he'll drop game dev in a second Yep no, we're, like, reaching, like, the, we're reaching the two hour mark of being in this podcast so we're gonna have to uh, oh. put a cork in it for now, I mean Jesse over here has been so quiet but he has to edit all this shit, how are you doing man? Uh, I'm doing good, I mean I'm enjoying it, I really don't have a whole lot to offer, but I am really enjoying it you know, as our one man audience over there, you're doing a doing a great job. My mic um, is muted, but uh, <clears throat> know that I'm uh, periodically clapping. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, but I think that uh, you know, f- at least for now, we should uh, put a cork in it. But uh, it would be great to get everyone back. And we can talk more about horror and creating horror and our opinions on horror because I think we uh, have thoroughly gone over what it was, what uh, the game design, game development conversation uh, at least for this two hour chunk um so uh yeah uh unless anyone has any final points they kind of want to throw out there real quick uh i don't think so i would definitely be on for coming on again to talk about horror i love talking about horror yeah, horror's the shit dude i love that stuff as i've gotten older i've become even i i was always a fan but i've become a bigger fan the older i've got so mm-hmm. time it was a fun chat i appreciate you guys having me yeah and so we'll uh Everyone listening will we'll have a part two at some point in the near future, uh, probably before we start having to ramp up into our overall inundating with promotion for the next collection. Um, anyways, guys, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, this has been really great. And, you know, if, if you if you want to see in action the stuff we're talking about here, uh, you can you can go ahead and go and buy the DreadX collection right now on Steam. It's only seven bucks. Uh, and two of those dollars go to Doctors Without Borders. And, um, you know, I, I just really, I would really appreciate if you buy it. And if you buy it and you like it, leave a review because one of the things I'm learning is that like that ability to gain reviews from people and like it, it, the automatic promotion that you get from that is like a really, really big deal. I mean, the difference between uh, zero reviews and 10 reviews is like 500% visibility or something like that. And the difference between uh, 10 to 50 is like another ridiculous tier. Um, so just really, if you, if you get a chance and you play it and you like it, leave a review and then follow us at uh, dread underscore X underscore P on Twitter. Um, and then, uh, I don't know, Star, am I forgetting anything? Uh, figure out the metagame. Figure out the metagame. Like, that's something that a lot of uh, people that play the game, we've been, like, by the way, me and Ted watch a lot of the streams. So we're watching a lot of, and Ted's been giving out free keys to people, so oh, uh, you can DM. Uh, it's dread underscore x underscore p on Twitter. 
Yeah, can, yeah, like, I just realized I need to get more more Steam keys to give to streamers. Yes. So, like, we're interactive. We love talking to people. If you have any questions, like, just let us know. Be looking forward to the new collection because it's going to be bigger and better. Uh, it, we're really excited about it. Yes. No, I mean, it, it has been really great. And um, we're really excited to show you what we have further down the pipe. Um, and, you know, if you want to uh, support any of the creators here, like I said, you can buy the Dreadx collection or you can buy the original God of War. Which, uh, what, what kind of residual checks do you get from God of War? Uh, not a dime. Really? Ah. Uh, Shit. I mean, I, it, it's, let's put it this way. The fact that I've been able to sit on my ass and stream and work on new games for two years since my last game came out, and I'm only now looking my head out of the ground to figure out, okay, what do I want to make next, is because Sony was insanely generous uh, over the years when I was making games for them. So I, I get no complaints. No, don't get me wrong. I, I'll take the checks. But, but that, that wasn't, that's not the deal you make when you're a full-time employee. Right. Yeah. God, I need to give my developers less of a percentage. Thank you for no, letting no, me know. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyways, guys, uh, thank you so much uh, for uh, listening in. And uh, we will we'll check in with you all soon. And enjoy the game. And, and stay safe out there overall. All right. Bye. Soon, you can burn two crops of such